Thanks for listening to the Journey Christian Church podcast. We're on a mission to make disciples who love God, love people, and serve the world. Our prayer is that this message encourages you today. And remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible. Well, if you were here the last, uh, well, last week, you know that we kicked off a brand new series uh, Pastor Dustin did called The Goat. And the goat is a phrase, it's a sporting phrase that just means uh, the greatest of all time. And that's, that's something that's a sports thing, you know, who is the greatest of all time? And you might be thinking, hmm, what's this series really about? Well, it's not about the Miami Dolphins, we'll put it, put it that way, which is Dustin's favorite team. And it's not about anybody who ever played on the Miami Dolphins. Actually, actually, though, if you were going to uh, uh, d- d- debate who is the best, one of the best all-time season teams, you might think the 1972 Dolphins would be a consideration because they did go undefeated that season. But the fact is, naming the greatest of all time in any sport leads to massive arguments and massive debate over the topic. With few exceptions... Sports science has altered significantly how athletes train, how athletes play today, and how athletes recover. And so accurately comparing athletes from this decade to athletes from decades ago is a challenging process. But as you may have guessed, this series is not really about who's the greatest sports hero of all time. It's about the only one who is truly undefeated. It's about the greatest of the greatest. I would say the MVP of all eternity. It's about Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of God. That's who we're talking about in this series. Now, one of the most influential leadership books uh, in the business world was written back in 2001. It was written by a man named Jim Collins, and um, the book's called Good to Great. And the purpose of the book really is to answer this question. Can a good company become a great company? And if so, how? What's the process? And to find the answer to that question, Jim Collins and his research team spent five years And they examined 11 different companies that made the leap from being good companies to being great companies. And they discovered that all of the CEOs of these companies that went from good companies to great companies shared two important leadership qualities. And the first quality was really no surprise they were all incredibly driven. And we might, you might expect that, right? Uh, they were willing to do almost anything to see their company become successful. But the second quality was a shocker to the researchers. They discovered that each of the CEOs was, at their core, modest and humble. And that's a shocker, because you wouldn't think that would be the case. In fact, Collins writes in his book, he writes this, they never aspired to be put up on a pedestal or become unreachable icons. They were seemingly ordinary people quietly producing extraordinary results. And so when these CEOs were, uh, were, were asked, they consistently pointed to the contribution of others to help make their company success. And when the employees were interviewed about their bosses, They used words like quiet, modest, reserved, gracious, helpful, humble to describe how they were in their leadership style. Now, what the book, Good to Great, proves is contrary to popular opinion, humility actually works. 
It builds respect for those who have it. It inspires confidence and trust in those who witness it. And the popularity of this book, which by the way, I looked it up on Amazon. It's got almost 12,000 reviews. It's got five stars. So it's a very popular book. And the popularity shows that humility, in fact, attracts the world's attention. But you know what's even more astounding? Humility attracts God's attention. Humility attracts God's attention. Take a look at this verse. This uh, is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And here's what he says. But to this one I will look. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit, who trembles at my word. God says, there is someone who gets my attention. This is the one to whom I will look. And it's the person who's humble and contrite, who uh, it trembles at his word. You know, I've been a minister for 30-some years. I've done a lot of weddings over the time I've been a pastor. And one thing I've noticed that happens at every single wedding is this. The beauty of the bride coming down the aisle always grabs the attention, gets the gaze of the groom, always. I mean, without exception. Can you imagine a wedding where the groom chooses not to look at his bride coming down the aisle? You can't imagine that, right? Because it would actually never, ever happen. And it's without exception that humility in your life always catches God's eye. If you want to get God's attention, be humble. But here's the issue. Many of us aren't sure we want to be humble. And some of us don't even know what humility really is. But Jesus is clear that humility is not just about convincing ourselves or others that we're unattractive or that we're incompetent or that we don't have any skills. It's not about beating ourselves up and looking down on ourselves, making ourselves look bad. That's not what humility is. In fact, I like Rick Warren's definition of humility the best. It goes like this. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking uh, of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. I think that's the perfect definition for what humility actually is. It's, it's being so preoccupied with Jesus, so discombobulated with his kindness and his goodness and his accessibility that we just aren't really very focused on ourselves anymore. That's what, that's what humility is. I like the way the apostle Paul defines humility in the New Testament. Here's what he says. Do nothing from empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. You see, humility starts in the mind and it's played out in our relationships. And the verb used here in this verse by Paul means to calculate. It means it implies the conscious decision to gather all the data and then say to ourselves, I thought about it. And I've concluded that in this situation and in every circumstance, my place, my role, my job is to applaud and elevate the success of those who are around me because I consider them, as Paul says here, to be more important than I am. That's humility, but I'm the first to admit that's a hard thing to do. Comedian Steve Harvey is uh, famous for a lot of things. And uh, he's written, one of the things he's famous for is writing introductions of people. And he's written an introduction to Jesus, I think is pretty good. I'm going to share it with you right now. Here's what he says. He says, it's my honor to introduce a man that needs no introduction. 
His credits are too long to list. He's done the impossible time and time again. He hails out, a, out of a manger in Bethlehem by way of heaven. His mother, still headlining at the Catholic Church. His daddy is the author of a book that's been on the bestseller list from the beginning of time. He holds the record for the world's greatest fish fry. He fed 5,000 hungry souls with two fish and five loaves of bread. He can walk on water. He can turn water into wine with no special effects and no camera tricks. His logo, a cross, is worn by billions around the world. He is hailed as the king of kings, the, the ruler of the universe, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He is the bright and morning star. Some say he's the rose of Sharon, and some say he's the prince of peace. Get on your feet, he says, and put your hands together and show your love for the second coming of the one and only. Now, I think that's a great introduction to Jesus, don't you think? <clears throat> Steve Harvey can be kind of funny, and, and all of what he said is true, but he missed one quality that Jesus himself identifies as his foundation for greatness. And here it is. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with, with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself, what's the word? Nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he, what? Humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I think what we need to see here, what Paul is telling us, what Jesus is expressing himself, is that humility is the foundation upon which every aspect of Jesus' redemptive work stands. We need to understand that. Without Jesus' humility and his willingness to be born in a manger and his contentment to be known as a carpenter and to happy to be uh, uh, mistaken for a gardener and washing the feet of the disciples and giving himself to be nailed on a cross, without humility, there would be no death, no cross, no burial, no resurrection, and no hope for a lost world. Humility is the foundation upon which Jesus himself stands. And since Jesus served you and me in this way, how can we not do the same for one another? I mean, if we say we are like him, if we aspire to be uh, like him, how is it that we can see his, his humility and see his service to us, but not in, translate that into serving one another. And I think if we would do that, we would truly understand that humility gets God's attention in a way nothing else does. Now, let's flip it over for just a second. Pride gets God's attention as well, doesn't it? But not in a good way. Pride is deeply, and I would say dangerously, rooted in all of our lives far more than we would like to admit or really even think about. And here's the sobering truth. God says this about pride. I hate pride and arrogance. I mean, that's as plain as it can get. God says, I hate pride and arrogance. Again, he says, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. That's a strong statement against pride. Here again, there are six things the Lord hates. And you know what's the first in the list of six? Haughty eyes. You know what that is? That's arrogance. That's, that's pride. Good luck finding stronger words anywhere in the Bible about God's opposition to sin. Pride is at the top of God's do not do this list. 
Now, why does God hate pride so much? I mean, there are lots of sins out there. Why does God hate pride so much? And I think it's because pride is rooted in self-worship. When we're prideful, it's all about us. It's a form of idolatry. Pride says it's all about me. Humility says it's all about you or it's all about God. Pride is when we desire to be like God but and refuse to acknowledge our dependence upon God. It takes many forms, pride does, but it always has one goal. Pride is always about self-glorification. It's to rob God of his glory and to rob God of his supremacy. It's the oldest sin in the book. I mean, from the very beginning, it was pride the serpent used to tempt Eve to eat the forbidden fruit in the, the Garden of Eden. And pride has been at the center of every sin since. It's no wonder God hates pride so much. The question is, what do you and I hate? Well, I hate cottage cheese. Because it's disgusting no matter what you put in it. I also hate mayonnaise because when I was five years old, my mom made me try it. I gagged and I nearly passed out and it was no fun. So I don't eat mayonnaise. Maybe you love it, but I hate it. But seriously, I have a list of things that I truly hate. I hate murder. I, I hate child abuse. I hate racism. I have my list and you have your list. But never forget this. You and I hate nothing to the degree that God hates pride. And that's saying something. Which brings us to Jesus and his disciples. You have these 12 men who were chosen by Jesus, handpicked, plucked right out of obscurity, chosen for a special role. What an honor. <laughs> In fact, if you're not careful, you could think, hmm, I'm pretty special. Right? Jesus could have chosen anyone in the world, but he chose me. That means I'm pretty great. He could easily let that go to your head. And that's exactly what happened. And so in Mark 9, Jesus is traveling with his disciples. And this is what we read. They came to Capernaum. That's just a city. And when he was in the house, meaning when Jesus was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? Well, this is interesting, isn't it? So on the way to Capernaum, Jesus notices, they're traveling, Jesus, Jesus notices that the disciples, maybe some of them, maybe all of them, we don't know, they're, uh, they're, they're having a heated discussion about something. And uh, he observes from a distance. And then that night when they gather together, he asks them, he asks them this question, what was that all about? And here's what it says. But the disciples, I love this, but the disciples kept quiet for on the way they had argued about one, uh, with one another about who was the greatest. You see, on the way, they argued about, with one another about which of them was the greatest. All of a sudden, pride is starting to fill their heads. And the question is, it says they kept quiet. Well, why they keep quiet? Why didn't they say anything? I think maybe they were embarrassed. For two years, they were following Jesus. They ate together. They traveled together. They listened to Jesus. They witnessed his miracles. And sure enough, one day, this pride that's in their heart comes spewing out of their mouths, and they argue about which one of them is the greatest. And so Jesus calls them all together as a meeting, as a session, and he flips their ambition upside down with one sentence. 
He says, you want to be great? Here's how. And then he lays this on him. He says, if anyone would be first, that means if anyone would be great, he must be last of all and servant of all. To be great, to be first, you must be last. You must be the servant of all. Translation, being the greatest begins with being the humblest. That's what he's saying. You want to be the greatest in the kingdom, then you need to be the humblest in the kingdom. If you want to be a great leader, then you've got to be a great servant is what he is saying. Essentially, Jesus says the way up is down. The way to greatness is, is, is by thinking not so much about yourself, but about other people. Bottom line, Jesus is, what Jesus means here is greatness in God's eyes looks exactly like humility. But selfishness is so ingrained in the human heart that even the disciples, having got it firsthand from Jesus, have trouble letting go of their pride. So a few days later, they're traveling again. James and John. And what's interesting is the book of Mark says James and John, but the book of Matthew tells the same story. And Matthew says their mother was there as well. So it's James and John, along with their mother, pull Jesus aside and ask him this question. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, well, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant that we may sit at, in your glory, one on your right and the other on your left. You see what they're asking? Hey, when you come into your kingdom... We want to be the two top dogs. We want to be sit, one to sit on your, you're the king. We want to be on your right. We want to be on your left. Would you do that for us? You see, they either ignored Jesus' teaching on humility a couple days before, or they completely misunderstood it. Because number one, they're not asking for greater faith to endure, endure Jesus' suffering, which they don't really fully understand that's even coming yet. They're not seeking deeper wisdom from God, from his word. They're not asking for strength to endure any coming persecution, and they've seen some of that already. No, they want to be powerful. They want to be famous. They want to be influencers in the new kingdom. And at this stage of their faith, Jesus is simply a means to their personal glory. They're looking at, well, Jesus is going to be the king, so what does that mean for me? Right? It's, it's their personal glory they're more concerned about. They don't realize it. Or maybe they do, but their pride is on full display for Jesus to see. And what have we learned that God thinks about pride? Well, the New Testament book says that God opposes the proud. He opposes the proud. It says he gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud. <clears throat> now, the other ten disciples, they hear about this secret meeting with Jesus between John and James. And here's what the scripture says. They feel indignant with James and John. So they hear that James and John have met with Jesus after the fact, and it says they feel indignant with James and John. They're like, you went behind our backs and you brought your mom to try to make your case to sit on the right and the left. That is not cool. I don't know if they didn't think it was cool or they're just like, oh, we didn't think of that. that that's, that's really good. So they were upset. And again, Jesus calls them all together. And he says this. And calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And they're like, 
yeah, yeah, we know that. That's exactly what we want to do. And he's like, wait, wait. And their great ones exercise authority over them. They're like, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what we want to do. And then Jesus hits them with these seven words that are not insignificant words. But it is not so among you. Don't miss those last seven words. It is not so among you. Jesus' point is, if you want to be great in my kingdom, it's not about ruling over others. It's about giving yourself away by serving others with a humble heart. And that's what they didn't understand. And the key word in all of this is the word sacrifice. And Jesus is the greatest example of that. But Jesus is not done. He continues. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall become your servant. And whoever wishes to become first among you shall be slave of all. This is what he said to them before, and now he's repeating it. You see, humility, it's a strange thing. It can be passive, humility can, or it can be active. Passive humility, meaning something like when some, something or someone humbles us, like you lose your job, you're humiliated. Uh, you have a failed relationship, you're humbled. Um, you know, your dream is shattered, and so you feel humiliated. Those things can humiliate us, but Jesus is not talking about being humbled by something else. Jesus talk, is talking about active humility, meaning we humble ourselves, willing to go the, the extra mile to help those who are in need. We hold a, a clear mindset that my life is not really about me. It's about following Jesus' example of putting other people first. It's about deflecting honor and glory that's coming to me toward God. We give him credit for every good thing, and we see ourselves as totally and completely and hopelessly dependent on Jesus and his grace. That's what active humility looks like. And it's different than passive humility. There's a famous tightrope walker. <clears throat> Nick Walenda is his name. And uh, he's a daredevil of sorts. <clears throat> and he accomplished a couple of really amazing feats walking on a tightrope. Uh, back in 2012, he walked across Niagara Falls. 2013, he went across the Grand Canyon. Pretty amazing stuff. He's a strong believer, a Christian. And the question becomes, how do you handle pride when you're the best in, in the world at, at, at something? <clears throat> When millions of people tune in to watch you and applaud you how, do you, how do you handle that? You know what Nick did? He spent hours walking around after those events, picking up the trash that all of the fans had left who came to see him perform. And here's what he said. Three hours of cleaning up debris is food for my soul. Humility, he says, does not come naturally to me. So if I have to force myself into situations that are humbling, so be it. I do it because that's the way I keep from tripping. I do it because if I don't serve others, I end up serving nothing but my own ego. You see, that's active humility. And the question I have for us is, what are, what are we doing in our own lives to actively engage humility in ourselves so that we don't become full of ourselves, our, yet our head doesn't become so large that we think that we're better than we are. Or somehow we think we are deserving or that the world owes us. That's not how Jesus' disciples were taught. What's true of Nick Walinda, the, the uh, daredevil there, is also true of us. 
If we don't find a way to serve and give and divert our attention from ourselves, we will, we will become people of pride. You can't help it. I can only imagine the disciples must have been shaking their heads thinking, man, this, this doesn't make any sense. I mean, he handpicked us and now he's telling us that we just have to be a servant to the whole world. You know, uh, but Jesus knows everything and he's right there with them mentally, spiritually. And at this point in their conversation, he gives them a, a sobering glimpse of where all this is, all this disciple stuff, ship stuff is headed. You see, they know that they're eventually going to end up in Jerusalem. They think they're going to end up in Jerusalem for a coronation of Jesus. They don't realize they're going there for a crucifixion of Jesus. So Jesus lays it on them pretty heavy in this next verse. He says, for the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the gospel in a nutshell, isn't it? Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And if you're going to follow me, be a part of my program, then that's what you're to do as well. He says, because I came to give my life as a ransom for many. Let's talk about what that means for a moment. A ransom for many. Well, the concept of ransom is not difficult to understand. It's someone paying the price to set someone else free. It's a ransom. You pay a ransom, you pay a price to set someone else free. So for Jesus... To give his life as a ransom, as he says, means he is the payment that sets us free from the penalty of sin and death. Jesus pays our debt to God by giving himself in our place on the cross. And in this instance, he's not only the goat, as we've been talking about, he's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's the greatest act of humility the world has ever known, the cross of Christ. And so let me close today with offering four practical ways that we can show humility without being prideful and wrecking the whole thing. Here's the first. To be humble, I must confess my sins. You can't be humble if you don't confess your sins to God. That's the first step, is to confess my sin to God. You've heard the saying, confession is good for the soul. Well, it's also a step toward having a humble heart. People, proud people don't usually confess their, their faults or their flaws or their shortcomings. The apostle John, the same guy that we've been reading about in this story, would years later write in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if you confess your sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. Confession leads to humility. Maybe I should even reverse that. Humility leads to confession. And how do you confess your sins to God? That's probably a question some of us ask. Okay, how, how, do I, how do I confess my sins to God? It starts with a conversation between you and God, an honest conversation, where you bury your pride and say, Lord, have mercy upon me, for I am a sinner. Here's the second thing you can do to increase humility in your life. To be humble, I have to give sacrificially. Giving sacrificially is a way of proving that, God, that God's kingdom means more to you than your own kingdom means to you. Because we all have our own little kingdoms. I have my kingdom right up here in Wakaiva, and you have your kingdom wherever. But which kingdom's more important, my kingdom or his kingdom? 
And we tend to give time and money and attention and effort to the things that we truly love, don't we? Giving yourself away is counterculture. It's not intuitive. It's not what we're told or taught to do. But it's at the core of what it means to be humble. Giving essentially says, it's, I'm not the most important person in my life. Jesus is. That's what giving says. Here's the third thing. To be humble, I must treat others better than myself. We're taught this at an early age to love our neighbors as ourselves. But you will never find this topic trending on social media. You just won't. Because we're so concerned about, you know, my brand and my choice and my preference. But in scripture, humility never stops trending. It's on every page of the Bible. And we see it time and time again that we are to love one another. And it couldn't be any clearer than when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And he's not saying sometimes, he's saying all the times. Every opportunity. Love our neighbor as ourself. And the last thing we can do to apply humility to our lives is to ask for help. This may be the toughest one of all, man. Ask for help? Not many of us like to ask for help. I don't like to ask for help. You know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's an issue of pride. I can handle it. I can do it. It looks humiliating to need help, to, to ask for help. Guys don't usually read the instructions. We don't ask for directions. It's just built into us, this pridefulness. We hold it up as a badge of honor. I don't need any help. But really, it's a way of saying I'm self-sufficient when really we're not. I watched, uh, I heard about a father who watched his son try to lift a heavy stone time and time and time again, and he failed with each attempt. He couldn't get the stone up. And uh, the father was watching him. After a while, the father said, are you using all your strength? He said, yes, I'm using all the strength I have. And the father looked at him and said, no, you're not. I'm right here. You haven't asked me for help. It's the same with us and our heavenly father. We run into roadblocks. We have difficult situations. Life flips us upside down. All kinds of roadblocks happen in our lives. And we try to manage it on our own. Try to handle it. Because that's the, that's the way of the world. And we fail. Often. We don't reach out for the help that's right beside us. Our Heavenly Father says, I'm here. Let go of the pride and the humility. Ask me to step in and give you guidance. Many of us don't like to ask for help. Because... We want to boast in our own accomplishments. I did it. Look at me, right? Instead, the goal for all Christians should be to follow the advice of the Apostle Paul, which is this right here. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He says, if you're going to boast, if you're going to brag, Brag about God's greatness. Brag about how good Jesus is. He says, that's the way that we need to follow. Brag about what he's done for you. Brag about what he can do for you. The greatest of all time is Jesus. And he redefined greatness as having a humble heart. You want to be great? You want to be great? Be humble. That's the message. Let's bow together. Father, we're so grateful for your love and your grace and your presence in our lives. And we just pray, Lord, that you would wreck us with humility. 
take this pride and help us to, 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 to lose it and to overcome it and to give it to you and to lay it at your feet of the cross. This pride is so destructive in our lives. It's so hurtful, so damaging. It keeps us from so many good things. We see in every page of scripture where humility just jumps out and says, be humble. Help us to be humble, Lord. It's, it's, it's not easy. But we see in your word an example of serving one another and, and giving away our lives and being sacrificial, focusing not on ourselves, but focusing on you. We need your help in that area. We pray your guidance. We pray your presence. Break us from this self-reliance, this desire to be known and to be popular and, and, and to be thought of. Just help us to serve, to honor you, to be great in the kingdom by being a, a slave to all. Not to be first, but to be last. Because we know that's exactly what you did on the cross. You gave yourself. You didn't have to, but you did. And we're grateful for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you like this podcast, we post a new message every week. So make sure to click that follow button and share it with your friends. Remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible.